Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name is Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at PCRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. And we realize that whenever Reformation has happened in the history of the church, it's messy. So we're taking time to have conversations with pastors throughout the CRC to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to ask them what needs to happen for us to see Reformation. We want to keep saying thanks to all of our faithful listeners out there. Uh, Keep up the good work. Our listenership continues to grow every week, and these conversations are spreading throughout the CRC. So keep listening and keep sharing this with people who would benefit from these conversations. We really appreciate it. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We are dropping episodes every single Monday. With all that said, let's get to this week's episode and our conversation with Chad Steenwick. Chad, why don't you uh, start off by telling us a little bit about where you're at and uh, your church and your family. So um, I'm Pastor Chad Steenweck, uh, pastoring at Central Avenue Christian Reformed Church in Holland, Michigan, uh, kind of right on the western or it'd be the eastern shore of Lake Michigan. Um, I got a wife, Rachel, married for 20 years, just about a month ago, celebrated that, that anniversary. And we've got three kids. Um, I got a daughter who's a senior in high school, heading off to Cornerstone University in Grand Rapids next year. A son who is 16 and another son who is 14. So that's that's my family life. Um, awesome. Yes. So, we're, you know, we're right here in Holland, Michigan, uh, which right now is uh, chocked full of tourists coming to see all of our blooming tulips. And so the wow. church that I serve is right downtown Holland. So we're Centennial Park. It's kind of the, the, the town square right across the street. And so it was a little hairy yesterday at worship because, I mean, every parking spot was full. You know, people were all over the place. Of course, they were more interested in tulips than they were in coming into worship. But, hey, we're kind of used to that. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's a beautiful time of year here. Holland, Michigan is a gorgeous place to live, fun place to live. Uh, kind of touristy beach vibe going on here a little bit, but it's a good, it's a good place to be. Yeah. And so how long have you uh, been there at that church? So um, I got a couple of start dates. I have served here full time um, for about 16 years. I was ordained in 2004 and I served as an intern here for 18 months before that, my last, you know, kind of year and a half of seminary. So it's, yeah, it's 18 years, approaching 18 years total. Yeah, that's awesome. And it, so was this your first church then right out of seminary? It was my first church out of seminary. I graduated in 04, ordained in 04. Um, and so what happened is I was serving as an intern here. The pastor who was my mentor, he hit 65 in 2004 and decided he didn't quite want to be done. And it was really working out well. The church was a great church and just sensed the call of God here. And uh, the, the ministry was flourishing. We were working well together. So we kind of swapped roles. I became full-time. He went to half-time. And then we continued that for 13 years. And then he retired oh, two, three years ago, officially. Um, 
So it's been good. It's been a blessed ministry. It's been wonderful to be in a church for a length of time where I'm at the point now where some of the kids that I baptized are making profession of faith. And so get to see that whole process um, through their lives. Some of the kids that I worked with in youth group as an intern, you know, I got to do their weddings and now see their kids and baptize some of their kids. So that's, it's been great. Yeah, I love that. That's one of the really great aspects about being in a church for a long time. Um, I haven't been in my current church for a long time, but I was in my previous church. I had been a member there for 20 years and had been the youth director for 11 years. And so just that consistency over time um, is huge in, in building up a ministry. And I've, I don't know, I'd be curious what you have to say about that, Chad, because I've had people argue with me over the years and say, you know, a pastor should only stay in a church five to seven years, and then they should kind of hit the road and go on to the next church. And I've always said, I don't feel like you can really build a ministry in that. I think you're, you're always kind of restarting. Um, but what do you think about that for, for kind of long-term ministry? Hey, you know, when I came here, I said, I don't have a plan to leave here in five to seven years. I also don't have a plan to stay here for 30 years either. I said, I'm going to, wherever the Lord calls, we'll, we'll kind of just keep testing that out on both sides of this equation. But I said, I, you know, I would love to have long-term ministry because of some of the exact things you talked about. Um, and I felt for myself, I, ministry really didn't start until about six, seven years in. You know, it was at that point, the congregation, I, I feel like we were sort of in this together. You know, the people, people trusted me. Um, it was also the time where, you know, the things that you can hide for four or five years no longer can be hidden on both sides. So, so myself as a pastor, I mean, that stuff kind of came out and, you know, I found out I was way too controlling. You know, I, I liked my fingers and everything, that kind of stuff. And I realized, you know what? I got to let other people do ministry. You know, that, that was the thing that I needed yep. to learn. And, it, yeah, and I had to learn it the hard way. On the other hand, there were things that were happening in people's lives or the way people were operating in ministries here that it was not healthy. And, and that just comes to light after six, seven years when you have one pastor, you can't kind of keep the, the facade going anymore. And even just issues in families. I mean, it was it almost like this this deluge happened at six, seven, eight years where all these family problems in the church just came to light. And you know, some of them we were able to say, hey, praise the Lord. You know, there was some restoration, sanctification, all of those things going on. Others, yeah, we still trust the Lord was at work in the middle of them, but they didn't seem to end so cleanly or nicely. But um, yeah, that. I would definitely say that's one of the benefits to long-term ministry. And I hear that same argument too. People will say, Hey, every five, six, seven years, you need to move on. I mean, part of it is the congregation needs a new voice preaching to them. I can understand that. Um, or as a pastor, you sort of need a refreshment. You can kind of go back and, you know, revisit some of the sermons you preached before and all those kinds of things. But I don't know. I find for myself, I am better when I'm writing new sermons every week and when I'm studying, you know, pushing ourselves into new areas. And so you know, having been around this long, we're able to get into some of the, the parts of scripture that I probably wouldn't hit if I was just in there five, six years, right? Mm -hmm. they, you know, five, six years, you're going to hit a couple gospels. You're going to do, you know, a sermon series through the parables. You're going to do the 10 commandments. You're going to do these standard things, but you can kind of get into this stuff like, oh yeah, we're not going to spend three years in Acts if you're only there for five years, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that. I, I wonder, 
sometimes if if having these shorter term I don't know what the average length of the pastorate is in the in the in the CRC in particular right now. Do you know? I really don't Chad? know, but I I have a sense that it's getting longer than it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. The more I talk to people too, I feel like in general, pastorates are lengthening out, even in youth ministry, because you know, I was in youth ministry before this. And when I started in youth ministry, the average, I think, was a year and a half mm-hmm. in a in a place, and I've seen that lengthening out, um, which is which is really a good thing. Um, but I, but I, as we were just talking, I was wondering if there's something to this kind of rotating pastoring, um, where you that almost leads to um, a shallower theology, because where every pastor comes in and wants to lay the basics again, over and over and over again, and and like you said, we we can't. You're not if you're gonna if you're only planning on being there five years, you're not gonna spend three years in Acts, right? And and dive down deep. And so I wonder if there's something to that. You know, there could be something to that. I, I don't want to disparage it too much because I have a number of of good friends and colleagues that that do go five to seven years and they move on to a new church. And and, and I can't think of any of them that are that I would say are gonna leave a shallow wake behind yeah. them. Um, so I, I don't want to disparage that, but I think there's something to consider there as, as you're going forward. Now, I think in my own context, over the over the course of um, you know the 15, 16 years I've been here, we've had lots of new members join at different times. So if I look at the congregation today, it's it's vastly different than it was 15 years ago. So there's a sense where you know not all those people have been with me those whole all, the whole time, the whole 16 yeah. years. So there is a even I've got to lay the foundations again, you know, periodically, or kind of keep that as an ongoing theme. So laying those foundations, but I certainly think that's something to consider. What can you, what can you get into as a long-term ministry? Um, On the other side, I mean, I I do think there is something to this idea of freshness. Um, Now I think that can be way overplayed. Don't get me wrong. I think people just want new for the sake of new at times, but so when you're in a ministry for a long time, you've got to think, okay, how can this ministry not just become mundane and on auto, autopilot? I think that's the danger for being around a long time is you just do the same thing every year and you'd never kind of move forward. You're just kind of cycling through the same stuff. Yeah. Amen. There's a, there's a really great um, teaching session um, by Alistair Begg. Um, called the dangers and delights of uh, long-term ministry because I think Alistair Begg's been at his church for I think 40 years or or something like that and uh, yeah he mentioned yeah he mentions one of the maybe it was 40 years when he did the talk I don't remember but he uh, he mentions one of the dangers being um, he calls it rusting out Mm -hmm. Um, just kind of yeah just getting in a rut and then just kind of not even burning out but just rusting out, just kind of doing the same old thing and slowly fizzling over, over the years. And I think that's true. That's also a danger as well. We have to kind of always be pushing forward. So yeah, I think that's, that's true. What, uh, I, I would be curious to know what your experience was, Chad, with this transition from um, kind of serving under the previous pastor and then kind of swapping roles and then doing ministry together. Um, how, how did that go for you? You know, honestly, that that's not a formula that works well often, I don't think. I mean, at least from what mm-hmm. I've seen in lots of different places. Now, I have to get a lot of a lot of credit to my um 
my mentors, Jim Scolton was the, was the guy's name or is the guy's name. He's still around and actually still serves as a calling pastor for us now, which is wonderful awesome. to, you know, I've been in ministry with him all these years. But um, you know, when I came in, he was great in not having sacred cows. You know, as an intern, mm. he said, you know what, you're going to have to preach Christmas morning. You can preach Christmas morning. You know, and sometimes you get senior pastors that will be in, in that spot and say, no, I, I'm guarding this. This is this is senior pastor stuff. But he he pulled me right into everything, you know, right into the mm-hmm. council meetings, the elders meetings. Um, he had me involved with, with everything. And we oftentimes did a lot of um, we would lead worship together. So we're a pretty traditional uh, format here, you know, following an order of worship, uh, you know, pretty standard stuff. And we would we would just lead that service together and just do a lot of a lot of things out front together. So the congregation saw us working together quite a bit. And I think mm-hmm. that, that laid a, a positive foundation. And so when we came to the point where he was considering retiring and I was looking for a call after seminary, you know, really he and I sat down and just sort of laid out what this would look like afterwards. So the two of us got to do that. And um, so when, when he retired to halftime at 65, he vacated this place for six weeks to two months. And so my first six weeks, two months, I was like thrown in and it was like sink or swim. You're doing everything for those two months, which you can do for two months because you know there's an end right at the end of two yeah. months. Yep. Um, but what it did is it, it gave me an opportunity to be the minister for the congregation with him vacant. You know, he was not here. Mm-hmm. They got to see me not as the intern and um, they got to see me as their pastor. Now, um, hey, after 15 years, a lot more gray hair, a little more weight helps me not look like a kid anymore. So um, <laughs> I'm not worried about that anymore. But but over that course, of that, so it was really a very positive experience for me. Not that we didn't have our points where we rubbed. I mean, we did. But, you know, it was a lot of just giving each other space to do what we needed to do. Now, on the foundations, we were in the same place, you know. In terms of our understanding of the gospel and how that applies to life, I mean, those were things we didn't have to sit down and hash through and wrestle yeah. with. So it allowed us to just be able to move on to ministry. Now, I say that moving on because I, I never believe you move on from the gospel, but you know, but we were able to engage in day-to-day ministry with this commonality that we've had uh, as, as pastors together. So that really turned out to be a blessing. You know, we thought we would do this for two, three, four, five years, maybe. And it ended up being 13 that we were co-pastoring together. Yeah, praise God. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I really like the idea of uh, having this kind of uh, discipleship kind of team ministry idea. That's always been uh, something I, I know that they always kind of recommend against it because there's a there's a lot of possible dangers and yet there's a lot of benefit as well. And uh, I remember even talking to Norm Tomsma um, from Pastor Church Resources a number of years ago, and he said that they're almost um, starting to encourage something like that now because they've seen some of these, um, some of the other dangers on the other sides with pastors coming in and not knowing what's going on in the church and, and there's not a good handoff. And so they've seen those dangers and they're thinking that maybe more of a discipleship kind of a model for pastoral handoff could be something to consider. So it's just been, it's interesting, but I I have the, I have this kind of disciple 
discipleship heart where we're working together and, and using gifts. And so I think um, it's really cool. It's cool to see how that worked out well for you. I've been curious, Chad, did you grow up in the CRC then, or did you come yeah. to the CRC later on in life? Um, you know, I'm a fairly good poster child for the CRC. Um, yeah, <laughs> born and raised in the CRC. In fact, the, the church I was born and raised in was Drent Christian Reformed Church, which is about six, seven, eight miles east of where I'm sitting right now. Oh, wow. So this, this is home turf for me. You know, the prophet is without honor in his hometown. I see evidences of that, but um, overall sure. it's been, been excellent. No, but I was born and raised in the CRC, you know, grew up through all the standard cadets and catechism and Sunday school and youth groups and junior choirs and all those those standard things. Came all the way through uh, the Christian school system here. Um, went to Calvin College, graduated there in the early 90s uh, with a business degree. Uh, went into commercial banking for seven, eight years. Went back to seven, seminary. Was determined not to go to Calvin Seminary because I had been the CRC poster child and I figured I needed something else, but landed at Calvin Seminary anyway. And uh, and it really, I, I feel like I had a good time at Calvin Seminary. I felt like it was a good early 2000s. I know that's a different era for the, for the seminary, but I thought that was a good time and learned a lot about interpretation of scripture and Greek and Hebrew and all of those good things. Um, so yeah, so that's my, my background in the CRC. I, it, this is home turf. Yeah, Chad, uh, thanks for sharing all that. I'm wondering if you're willing to share a little bit about your seminary experience. I know you'd said that kind of, that was a different era for Calvin Seminary. I was wondering if you could maybe highlight a couple reasons why, you know, it might've been different back then in comparison to right now. And I have to say, I don't have a, a great feel for where it is today. I mean, I hear stuff. I talk to kind of current seminarians. And so I have an idea. And I, so I don't want to paint with too broad a brush strokes. But when I was going to seminary, like I said, I didn't, I didn't want to go to Calvin. So I flew out to California, Westminster West, flew out to Westminster East. And, you know, sitting down with whoever you sit down with when you're touring seminary, I, I asked them the question, what they thought of the other two seminaries that I was looking at. And probably the one thing that was most profound was sitting down with um, with Bob Godfrey at Westminster West and said, what do you think about Calvin? Now, of course, you know, Bob has a history in the CRC, and so th this is not foreign turf for him in a lot of ways, uh, although he had been out of it for a while by then. But he said to me, he said, you know, he said I think Calvin Seminary is as strong as it's been in 20 years. And so asking him about that, I said, what do you mean by that? He said, you know, I think some of the professors that they have in there, you know, Richard Muller was there at that time and John Bolt, and they had just gotten Michael Williams in there teaching Hebrew and um, you know, Jeff Wyma and just a number of those professors, Carl Bosma, Ari Later, you know, just good, solid, orthodox um, professors that were, that were there really to, to, to teach scripture and and from a reformed perspective through the confessions, you know, John Cooper was, was there at that time too. And so I think there's a lot of, a lot of strong professors that were really um, rooted in really biblical theology. Um, now, I'm not going to say it didn't have its warts. I mean, it, uh, every seminary has its warts and Calvin seminary surely had its, had its warts. So um, anyway, you're coming into all of this. Now this was at the time, um, 
So it was like 2000-ish when I was starting seminary. So they were going through the reaffirmation of the women's ordination votes that had been kind of happening. So five years yeah. earlier, 1995 is where they came their compromise position to the year 2000 was supposed to be a reaffirmation of that. So all of that is kind of sitting in the background of me starting summer Hebrew boot camp at Calvin Seminary. So here we come in and we're, you know, of course, what do you do as, um, as a seminary classmates, you go hang out at synod meetings, you know, for the afternoon. So we would head over to this, we'd head over to the, uh, the fine arts center at the college and, um, listen in on these meetings and you're hearing all the same arguments that you heard in the past and all the stuff going back and forth. And so of course, one day in a study group, we had about 12 of us in the room that, um, this is all going on behind us. And somebody decides to ask the question, all right, who's for women's ordination and who's against women's ordination. I think this was the second day I was at Calvin seminary. And I'm thinking, Oh no, here we go. Right, right away. And so, um, so he said, okay, who's for women's ordination? And out of that group, one guy raised their hand, um, which was surprising, honestly, to me. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that. Now, I, I'm not going to try to make blanket statements about complementarianism, you know, and egalitarianism here either. But, you know, that's where I am. I'm a complementarian. And so that that really created a, a, a group, a bond group with these, these brothers. And so as we walked through seminary together, there were those that, we kind of just were able to get together and discuss things and be open with each other and understand as we're kind of sorting through some of the, I don't know, some of the, the wonky things that you do here along the way. And so that was just a great support. I mean, we got together and we, we prayed um, a couple times a week together down the basement underneath the chapel. There's a little prayer room down there. And so that, that, that turned out to be a, a great, great time. And just having that great cohort of encouraging brothers throughout my time at seminary was phenomenal. Plus some of those good professors too. Yeah. Yeah. I got to have a couple of those professors, but most of those professors retired right around mm -hmm. the time I, I started in 2013. And so that was kind of at the beginning of this big turnover at the seminary, but I was able to get a few of those guys and they were, were really great. And we've got some pretty good ones who have come into the seminary too. And so I know that I've, I've, I can be fairly critical of the seminary, but there's some, there's some pretty solid professors still there and, and some good, uh, good stuff still going on. Too. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to overplay it. Like that was some golden era back then, you know, it, it, it had, it's, there was plenty of junk that was going on and, and you kind of see it kind of around the edges, but having that core there was, was really, was really good for me. Yeah. Well, one of the things I'd be curious about, Chad, is having grown up in the CRC and kind of, like you said, you're the CRC poster boy, right? Gone to Calvin and to Calvin Sam and all of that. So what do you, what have you seen over the years as some of the strengths of the Christian Reformed Church? You know, I, I'm just going to go back to one of my, my Calvin Sam profs, uh, Michael Williams, which you probably had when you were there as well, too. But I remember him talking about his conversion, you know, um, down in the submarine, you know, in the Navy, came to Christ. Um, and I don't remember how this happened, but he discovered, you know, the Heidelberg Catechism. And so he Googled Heidelberg Catechism and up came the CRC. And, you know, he came into the CRC with this great excitement of, hey, this is a denomination with this great confessional foundation. And um, so when he came in, he was disappointed that so many people were trying to toss that overboard, <laughs> you know, they didn't want that mm -hmm. anymore. 
And so, you know, growing up in the CRC, and again, as a kid, I, I didn't recognize any of this, you know, I was taught the catechism. I mean, we had it Wednesday nights after, after school, we'd take the bus to church. We drop, get dropped off there. My great grandma lived across the street. So we got to, um, hang out at great, at great grandma's house, you know, while my brothers and sisters went to their catechism classes and you had to memorize questions and answers with Dr. Lucci's and, you know, it was boring. I'll tell you that. But I look back upon it now and I think of all of those seeds that were planted in my life that were so shaping and forming for me over the course of years. And so just even this kind of long-term steady ministry that the CRC had, you know, the CRC was never flashy. It was, you know, very, I guess, and I think that comes from the, the, the makeup of the denomination, who the members were. It never tried to, to run with, in, in the high crowds, at least back in, in, the, in the day. It was just, yeah, most of what was happening in the CRC was the faithful local ministry happening in communities across, across the, the nation, across, well, two nations. So I think the, the, the biggest strength that I had was its, um, was its confessional foundation. As I look back and I see what I have been given, confessional foundation that's rooted in the word, that's anchored in the gospel, all of those beautiful things that, that really, really bring life to ministry. I mean, that's, that's what was the great stuff. Now, it's hard to sort out all the colloquialisms that come along with that. You know, um, yeah, I, I grew up in a... I say I grew up, I, didn't, I never met a Catholic until I was in high school. I mean, this was the world I lived in. I mean, we had is a reformed church on one corner and a CRC on the other corner. And that's, that's what it was. We had in my, in my elementary school class of about 60 kids, we had one who was a Baptist and oh, wow. the others were CRC. Um, there was a couple of RCA people, but back then the RCA was not, you know, they weren't sending their kids to the Christian school. And um, yeah, so it was, I look back and I think it feels like a, I mean, a whole nother world, you know, that, that I grew up in. So, you know, that, I, I don't think that was a strength necessarily. What, what was a strength of that was that it really, um, a church was able to enact discipline in, in a context like that, um, just because you knew each other and, and you, you didn't, you weren't just able to jump to another church, you know? So, so if, if somebody was in your church and was, yeah, they, they were straying down the path, the wrong path and the elders could go to them and, and there was some sort of some weight behind the discipline. I, I don't want to overplay this because I, I don't want to, the, the, the ethnicity of, of, of the tightness of the community is not, not a good thing in the end, but, um, but yeah, you were able to you were able to say to somebody, you know, brother, you know, you're you're walking in a wrong way, and it had more implications uh, on their life. So you know, the, the the people that I went to church with were the people I went to school with, and pretty much every boy in my grade worked in the greenhouses that were owned by a guy in my church. You know, so so our mm -hmm. lives were very tightly packed together. So yeah there was multiple ramifications, multiple facets for your life um, that discipline could hang on to. You know, today you, you, you kind of press somebody in discipline. They're like, you know, we're just going to transfer down the street or we're going to go, you know, there's, there's a million churches that will take me if you, if you don't want me. Yeah. So I think, I think that was a, that was a strength. Um, so yeah, there was, 
you really got, you just got to know people. You lived with people. And so, so, so your church life was sort of a full orb of life, you know, every aspect of your life, you know, on Friday nights, we were out at the ballpark and playing softball and watching my dad play softball. And yeah, all the kids from church were there. It was just, that, that was just kind of life. Now it was, it was a country church, you know, so um, you live out in the country. It's a little different than living in town, but um, I think those are some of the strengths that I'd, I'd highlight. Yeah. And it, it's interesting because you're right. Um, we have seen some of the, the negative effects of being such a tight knit Dutch community. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, uh, people feeling like they can't break in or even people, Mm -hmm. um, just relying on their Dutchness, right. For, for unity. But, um, but you're right. There is a huge benefit in the tight, that tightness of a community. When you're, when the people you're hanging out with are part of every aspect of your life, you can't really have that um, sacred secular divide that people try to get away with now, because now it, it's easy because people have their church family and their, their worldly family or whatever, you know, the family out in the, uh, and so they, they have kind of almost a double life. And so it's easy to have that. Whereas when the community was really tight, um, you really didn't have that option. Right. So I think that speaks something to today, you know, the nature of the church, you know, the, the church has a mission and, you know, I think this is no secret, but I think a lot of our churches have moved in such a professional direction that you have, you know, you have the staff that that sort of puts on church for a bunch of consumers that come and, you know, they take it in on Sunday and then they go off. But, you know, identifying the church as the church needs to have that closeness, you know, whether it's ethnically unified or whether it's ethnically diverse. You know, the, the congregation I serve now, now I, I'm, I'm not going to put it on this, you know, put it on a multi-ethnic category here, but, you know, we've got a number of families that are from like Bengali background, and we have a Cambodian church that meets with us, but we also have a number of people that are coming from, you know, from Baptist backgrounds or Lutheran backgrounds and, and all these things where they're, they're, they're bringing in something different. And so we have to work differently at building the family and building the community of the church and sometimes you look at that stuff like, okay, you know, some of the picnics and the gatherings and those kind of things. Okay, that's sort of the ancillary stuff. But it's like, no, that's that's to foster gospel ministry and foster tr- the true church that we can be a family together and, and really a primary family together. Mm. Even more yeah. so than aunts and uncles and second cousins and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, amen. Uh, one of the you, when you were talking, I was thinking about uh, Michael Goheen. Um, mm-hmm. He was he was my missional ministry um, professor at Calvin. He was only there for a short time, but he wrote this book. Um, I would highly recommend it. It's called The Light to the Nations, and it's kind of he's putting forth this biblical theology of missional ministry. Um, but at the core of what he's laying out is that the church has been designed to be a contrast community in the world um, that so we're supposed to be this what the church is called to be this tight knit community in the midst of the world um, that shows the world another way of life. And, and I think um, just looking at our current cultural situation, right. We're, we're watching our nation. Um, I've been saying this more and more that there's really no social benefit in being a Christian and people are walking away from the faith regularly. Churches are shrinking all over the place. And uh, more and more, I think it's going to be important for the church to be that contrast community. We're going to have to kind of bind together and 
and not remove ourselves from the world, but be this contrast community living in the world. Well, you know, there's, we're seeing this, our world just implode, you know, the, the, the way it's, the way it's, the direction it's going. And the church can, can jump on board with that implosion as well, too. And we can kind of join in the same debates and we can kind of take on their, their methodologies and whatnot. But, but you're right, we as a church, I and mean, we have something different, you know, we, we have a unity that is unknown by the world, you know, in Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just having this conversation with a congregation member yesterday. And you know, I said, some of this, I, th- I think we as a church need to have, a pa- have patience and just kind of keep moving forward pressing forward because as this world is falling apart and, and we're seeing this where the, they're eating their own today. I mean, you, you go out there and there, there's really no safe place. I mean, you can't be woke enough, you know, and all mm-hmm. these sorts of things. Um, the, the church is going to need to be this rock that is Christ, you know, in the middle of that. And so as the, as the world kind of it seems like burnt around us. Yeah, I don't want to talk about, you know, withdrawing away from the world. We still need to be there. But I think long term, we can we can come through this as we emerge as the church. There's still a family. There's still this 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 body of, of people who shouldn't be together in one family. I mean, there, there's no socioeconomic, biological reason why you're together necessarily. But but here you are. And, and have that shine as a light for the glory of God and for the, the furtherance of the kingdom. And so, I don't know, I think there's something something there for us as, as a church. That's all we have for this week. Stay tuned next week for part two of our conversation with Chad Steenwick. But until then, don't forget this is Christ's church, and he bought it with his blood. And we've been warned that wolves will come in and try to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season and keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.